0: All who are able are invited to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord according to St. Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say first, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the street and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the gospel of the Lord. Maybe may be seated. For almost 30 years, I've sworn off red meat. I mean, I still eat chicken and fish, but... I've tried to avoid the other stuff. I'm I'm prone to gout. So keeping away from red meat is essential in helping me to control it. But beyond that I, I have some real ethical objections to the way most meat is raised and slaughtered. Of course, someone will surely point out that eating chicken might take care of the gout thing, but it does nothing to alter the facts surrounding the objectionable way that chickens are raised and slaughtered. Kinda hypocritical, isn't it? Well, fine, I'm a bundle of inconsistencies. Is that what you wanted to hear? Man, y'all are brutal. Anyway, I went down to Mexico about 20 years ago with a couple of my buddies down to the children's home. We went to church on this one Sunday, and a short man in dusty cowboy boots and and, and crisply pressed blue jeans approached my Uncle Juan to invite us all over to his house for dinner. Now, this may come as something of a surprise to you, but going to a stranger's home for Sunday dinner with people I don't know is not something that I typically spend my time aspiring to. Something else you may not know about me... I'm not typically what you might call an adventurous eater. I'm kind of picky. I tend to avoid situations where I'll have to eat stuff I don't like. right? Which also means that I'm vigilant about knowing what it is I'm putting in my mouth. See, I'm pretty sure that there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who see some new food and they say, sure, I'll try it. What is it? And those who reverse the order and say what is that? Before they ever say, sure, I'll try it. For better or worse, I take my place with the latter group of rational human beings completely confounded by the former. But I mean, I'm not an animal. I, I pasted a smile and I said, sure, we'd, we'd be honored. And we were honored. By which I mean they totally honored us. We arrived at this tiny home, and, and, and the family that invited us was, was so pleased that we'd accepted this invitation. There, there weren't enough places to sit in the living room. So they gave us the couch and the extra seat, and the father asked us about who we were, families, work, you know, the usual sort of social niceties. And when I couldn't understand something, then Juan would translate, it was fine. But the dinner preparations took a while because a couple of the kids had to go out to the tienda to buy some stuff for lunch. But apart from the cramped quarters, the scene wasn't much different from the one that gets played out in countless homes just down the street from here, or across town, or on the other side of the country. People just gathering after church for Sunday dinner in somebody's house. But that changed when it came time to sit down for dinner. And when I say sit down for dinner, I mean we sat down for dinner. Everybody else in the family except the father stood around the small kitchen table to serve us and to watch us eat. There weren't enough chairs or enough table spaces to accommodate four of us plus eight family members. But I'll never forget what happened next. They started bringing out this steaming platters of some kind of meat. Some of it fried, some slow cooked, some in strips, some in cubes. And then they brought out a big plate of corn tortillas, limes, bowl of homemade salsa. Now my Uncle Juan, uh, uh, aware of my idiosyncratic eating habits, leaned over and discreetly said, they probably spent the whole grocery buzz budget on buying this food for you. It's a big deal. So you better eat it or you're, you're going to offend them. Well, as I say, I'm not an animal. I mean, I pretty much figured that out for myself. They obviously went to great expense and a lot of trouble to give us the greatest gift they could. And I knew I was going to break over and eat not only red meat, but some kind of meat. I wasn't entirely sure what it was before being asked to eat it. You should have seen the the, the expectant look on their faces. All these people standing around watching to see how their gift would be received by us. Now, I'm positive that they served us family delicacies, things that the family would only have on very special occasions. So I I felt a lot of pressure. I knew right away I was going to eat this stuff, whatever it was, even if it killed me or gave me food poisoning or or made me grow a third eye in the middle of my forehead. So I I took some of the meat and I put it uh, in a tortilla and I squeezed a lime and spooned on some salsa and I took a bite. Now the first thing I remember is how I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was so delicious, like like exceptionally, lip-smackingly, vacant, staringly uh, delicious. Now the second thing I remembered was thinking that the top of my head was about to blow off. And what did she put in that salsa anyway, Drano? The third thing I remember thinking was, I'm ashamed I ever hesitated to accept the hospitality of these wonderful people ever, ever questioned coming to this place and going on this culinary adventure. The fourth thing I remember thinking was, this mystery meal, which should have been served with individual, personalized fire extinguishers, actually tasted like the body of Christ. I should have been better about hospitality. Lord knows I've had great role models for it. My grandma Murray, for instance, the one whose idea it was for my grandparents to load up their trailer and move down to Mexico to raise other people's children, she was the queen of hospitality. Grandma was able to achieve that finely-tuned balance between attentiveness to her guests and a determination to let people discover the world at their own speed, not hers. After having received into her home literally thousands of people over the years, Grandma had a particular facility with the gracious arts. But, I think, the gift of being able to welcome people into your home is a gift shared by many, and it's important, but it's not entirely unusual, right? But the difficult part of hospitality isn't just commonly shared virtue. Part of the pure beauty of hospitality comes in being able to receive the hospitality of others with grace and dignity, Not, not, not as something owed, but as a gift given from the heart of the sharer to the heart of the receiver. See, giving is an art that many of us learn. More often than we care to admit, however, giving can be a way of retaining or exerting power. uh, Of making certain that any debts incurred are incurred by someone other than ourselves. So, So often, the best givers are the very worst receivers. Not always. But it happens. You see, hospitality doesn't work without mutuality. Which is to say, without somebody willing to receive what others are offering. My my, my grandma had a beautiful ability to receive the heartfelt gifts of others without immediately feeling the need to even the score. She was gracious enough to give others the space they needed to practice hospitality. She was willing to take on the social debt of receiving so that other people might be able to practice the art of giving. I mean, anybody can give, right? It is the rare and truly gifted person who can bear the social burden of showing the humility necessary to receive. Now, avoiding social debt is is such a big part of our cultural life. I mean, I'm conscious of it. I expect it. I imagine you do too. I mean, everybody wants to the upper hand, right? And these social calculations, we're always sort of jockeying for the upper hand, aren't we? In the Pez Dispenser episode of Seinfeld, go search for it on Netflix, Jerry and George are discussing George's new girlfriend, Noelle. And Jerry says, I, I, I know you told me you like her, but, and so everything's going good. And George said, no, everything is not going good. I'm very uncomfortable. I have no power. I mean, why should she have the upper hand? Once in my lifetime, I would like the upper hand. I have no hand. No hand at all. She has the hand. I have no hand. And George said, how do I get the hand? And Jerry said, well, we all want the hand. Hand is tough to get. you got to get the hand from the opening. Now, in our text for this morning, Jesus wants to remind his disciples that worrying about the social conventions that usually attend, being in people's presence, isn't what the new realm of God is all about. Keeping and maintaining the upper hand isn't their job, isn't not even close. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, don't pack your toothbrush, change of underwear. Unlike the world into which you're heading, you're going to trust completely in the hospitality Of strangers yeah. that when you go into someone's home they're going to welcome you and they're going to feed you that is to say you're going to show the possibility of a different kind of world one where true community and hospitality to the stranger exist in other words Jesus disciples are going to places where people don't know them and then trusting that the folks they meet there won't turn them out won't refuse them kindness just because the disciples aren't from around here. They have to put themselves at risk, hoping that the locals won't lock them up in cages and tell them to drink out of the toilet just because they were born someplace else. Jesus is telling them to offer a vision of a new world, a d- different kind of kingdom. Now, one of the, way, the primary ways the kingdom of Jesus' disciples... The one that they're announcing, the way it's different (coughs) from the coercive kingdoms of this world, is is found in the very first thing that Jesus tells them to say when they enter a stranger's house, which is peace to this household. Now, as I've mentioned before, in Roman-occupied Palestine, everybody already knew what peace looked like in the hands of the powerful. The Pax Romana was a peace imposed on the weak uh, by the dominant. A peace that benefited the rich and the powerful at the expense of the poor and the dispossessed. But the peace that these disciples offer doesn't rely on the ability of those who offer it to impose its will on others. It's a, it's a peace from a realm that depends on on a commitment to vulnerability and the trust that there's enough for all of us if we share what we have. Jesus says, whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, kingdom of God has come near. Now the thing is, the kingdom the disciples announced doesn't depend on others to embrace it. Regardless of whether people accept it or not, this kingdom is a present reality. It's a, it's a new world, a realm that is secure enough in itself not to have to coerce people. Not not to have to keep the upper hand. It says this is the world embodied by the realm God is busy unleashing. A world in which there's enough to eat for everyone. Where the divisions that keep people separated from each other are finally healed. And so the 70, they go, out, right? And what happened? Well, the text says they returned with joy saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Ah, Sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? That's Fourth of July weekend, right? We know about these kind of fireworks. Demons bowing, Satan falling from the heavens like a flash of lightning. Now this passage has vexed Many interpreters. It's kind of hard to make out what's what, what exactly is going on here. I mean, so what are we supposed to do with all this supernatural language? This this celestial firework show. I mean, it sounds like a supernova. Now, according to NASA, one type of a supernova in existence is caused by the last hurrah of a massive dying star. Now, this happens when a star at least five times the mass of our sun goes out with a fantastic bang. Massive stars burn huge amounts of nuclear fuel at their cores, or at the center. This, of course, produces tons of energy, so the center gets really hot. That heat generates pressure, and the pressure created by a star's nuclear burning also keeps that star from collapsing, pushing out. Now, a star is in balance between two opposite forces. The star's gravity tries to squeeze the star into the smallest, tightest ball possible. But the nuclear fuel burning in the star's core creates this intense outward pressure, and this outward pressure resists the inward squeeze of gravity, so you have a balance. But when a massive star runs out of fuel, it cools off. This causes the pressure inside to drop. Gravity finally wins out and the star suddenly collapses in on itself. Imagine something one million times the mass of Earth collapsing in 15 seconds. The collapse happens so quickly that it creates enormous shock waves that cause the outer part of the star to explode. That's a supernova. But you see, that's what happens when old kingdoms of coercive power meet with a new kind of kingdom. The mounting pressure of justice and compassion, of of peace and community, are too great for the old kingdoms to withstand, and something's got to give. The collapse is epic, blowing a, a, a giant hole in the fabric of reality as we've come to know it. And that's the thing. You get a small group of people willing to live as if everyone is a neighbor, as if there's plenty enough to go around, as if the maladies that make us ill unto despair are capable of being healed, as if black people have rights and women have rights and, 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 and people deserve to be paid and all of this stuff. You start Exerting that kind of pressure on the kingdoms of this world and all of a sudden demons bow down and Satan falls from the sky like a flash of lightning. And the thing of it is, we're not talking about the Avengers here. It's just a bunch of ordinary people willing to head out into the world carrying only their trust in Jesus and a different kind of kingdom. In a world that feels itself at present as if it's on the verge of imploding. Good news of a new and different kind of world is the very message that we bear. The kingdom of God has come near you isn't a nice parting gesture that Jesus leaves the disciples. It's an announcement of the end of this world where keeping the upper hand is everything. Because that's not our job. It's not even close. Amen.